My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Thank you, honey. Uh, keep your Bibles open. We're here to learn uh, from God's Word, from the Bible. Uh, and that's a whole lot easier when it's in front of you. Uh, so keep it there. And we're going to work our way through these verses together. <clears throat> now, I don't know if you've ever considered this, um, but I wonder if you've ever thought about what you would like your epitaph to read. Um, assuming you have one, you know, you've, you've planned your enormous tombstone, this great monolith to your life, I'm sure. Uh, what would you like the byline under your name to read? You know, the, the summary of your life or your, your, your legacy. What, what do you envision uh, that that might look like? How might it read? Uh, here's a few examples, just in case you're, you know, you're looking for something to help stimulate some thought. This is Ludolf van Schulens. Um, this is what he's read. 3.141592653589793238462643383279502288 Yes, I, I did practice that a few times this morning. Um, why would he have such a long number or a strange number? Well, he was the first person to ever calculate pi to 35 decimal places. Apparently, I, apparently that's an achievement. Um, so, on his tombstone it goes. You probably haven't done that, so you might not want to borrow that one. Um, here is what John Keats had on his. Uh, here lies one whose name was writ in water. Uh, John Keats was a poet. He suffered terrible depression and all sorts of uh, illnesses, uh, and he was constantly questioning his legacy and his impact, and that's how he viewed himself. His name was writ on water, as in passing and forgotten. That's a little grim. Um, you might like what Jim Morrison, singer of The Doors, had. Uh, he obviously liked Greek, so this is what his said. Kataton daimona he autu, which means true to his own spirit. <laughs> which I think, if you know anything of Jim Morrison, probably captures quite a lot about Jim Morrison. True to his own spirit. There's some examples for you. Uh, what might yours read? What might your epitaph, your legacy read like? What might the Apostle Paul's read like? I don't know if you probably never wondered that. Um, but we get kind of an insight in this passage, don't we? We get kind of a, a summary of how he would like his legacy to be seen. Um, you might have seen it right at the end of what we just read. He's talking about this idea of sacrifice and of being poured out like a drink offering. Um, what he's saying is, if I die, which, you know, he's in prison, so this is a distinct possibility, if I die... I'm glad. 
I, I'm rejoicing. I'm not going sadly. I'm, I'm going filled with joy. Um, why or how can he say such a remarkable thing? It's because of what he sees here and what he's writing about here. He sees the legacy, the summary of his life's work invested in this church in Philippi. So what is it? What is it that's driving him, that's giving him joy, um, even in the face of possible death? Well, it's this church and their living worthy lives of the gospel, lives worthy of what they've received in Jesus. If you've been here over the last few weeks, you'll know that's kind of the heading of this whole section, right from chapter 1, verse 27, through to the end of our passage today. This is the life that is worthy of your citizenship in God's kingdom, in, in the gospel of Jesus. And so what he's saying here is, and this is it. Do this, be this, what I'm describing here, and I die happy. <laughs> I die satisfied because you're living up to your gospel calling. It's a huge thing to say, isn't it? It's, it's remarkable. I die happy <laughs> because you're doing this. So what is it he's talking about? What is this life that he's describing here? Well, that's what we're going to look into this morning. Now, the tricky thing is that Paul starts this passage with a concept that we don't really like very much. <laughs> um, it's right there in verse 12. You might have noticed it as we started. Uh, let me read it for you. It's the word obey. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, you can hear Paul's uh, emphasis or his drive here. Uh, obey, not just when I'm around, <laughs> but keep obeying when I'm not there as well. You know, it's kind of like a parent. Don't just do the right thing when I can see you. <laughs> you know, keep doing the right thing. Keep at it. And that kind of makes it feel worse, doesn't it? And we don't like the idea of obedience. We think it's about being spiritual. Obedience is kind of a, a dirty word. That's a bit outdated, isn't it? But we've got to remember the bigger picture here. We've got to expand and understand this passage in its own context. Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember the picture that we saw. We just actually sang it in our last song. This picture that we have been given of Jesus, this glorious and wonderful picture. Jesus, who though being fully God, didn't grasp at what he could have had or didn't exploit what he could have had, but was radically self-giving. Not just as something he did, but as his very essence being self-sacrificing. Who radically emptied himself, who humbled himself, and though fully God, became fully man, even to the cross. Whose self-giving gives us life, who rescues and restores, and as a result of that, who was vindicated by God and then exalted, raised by God and given the name, the, the name Lord at which one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the bigger picture. You know, we, we have to keep that, you know, parked in the, in the back of our minds as we read that. And it's in light of that big picture that, that Paul can say, obey. Not obey me, he doesn't say that. Not even obey because he's God. But obey remembering this picture, remembering who he is and what he is like. Remembering that he is the humble and exalted saviour. So the way Paul is framing this, this idea of obeying is less about rule keeping and more about bringing ourselves under the lordship of this self-giving saviour. 
bringing ourselves and our entire lives under him and doing that with, with awe and amazement and, and, and glad trembling, startled, awe-filled at how good he is as daily we're reminded what he is like. Now, what does that obedience look like? Well, it's there in verse 12. It's that word, working out. Continue to work out your salvation. You have salvation. We have to be perfectly clear on that. You have salvation. It is not working for your salvation. Um, it's not even working to keep your salvation. You have it. That is, that is set in stone. That is written. All things have been given to you once for all in Jesus. And so work out that salvation. Live the life in keeping with what you have. Play it out. You're in Jesus. Your belief has united you with him. His self-giving sacrifice has given you life. You have a place in his kingdom. You are yours forever. You are his forever. So live that out. Live the life in keeping with what you have. Work it out. See, Paul is saying the worthy life, the, 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 the worthy of the gospel, the worthy of your citizenship life is a transformed life. It is a life that is shaped different. Who you are, how you live is different, dramatically so, because of who you have come to believe in. Who you are has changed in Jesus. You are now citizens of his kingdom. You are now children in his family. So live a life in keeping with it. Change how you live. But if you start to think that through, there's an issue there, isn't there? There's a small problem. And the problem is with changing. Have you ever tried to change yourself? It's, it's rather difficult, isn't it? It's actually really difficult. If you've ever tried to diet or lose weight or go on an exercise plan, you know it's really hard work. And sometimes it just doesn't work. Uh, maybe you've, you've tried to you know, kick bad habits or quit smoking. Like Those are hard things. Um, I remember Dad telling us about when he was at school, you know, things were always worse in the bad old days. Um, but when Dad was at school, left-handed writing was, was a no-no. You didn't write with your left hand. Sorry, Dad, you're here now, but anyway. <laughs> you didn't write with your left hand. That was the wrong thing. And so if you were caught in the class writing with your left hand, the teacher would walk along and smack it with a ruler. <laughs> so you would stop. Uh, and so you would change and write with your right hand. I mean, that's painful, isn't it? I, I imagine it was effective eventually, but it's painful. But changing things, changing who we are, is really, really hard. It's, it, it, it's costly. So how can we possibly change our lives? How can we possibly live out this gospel calling so that our lives are different and worthy of the gospel that's, that seems so far beyond us? Let alone when we start to consider what that life looks like. I mean, just, just think about what we've seen over the last few weeks. Do you remember, you know, prizing Jesus above life to, for me to live as uh, to, to Christ and to die as gain? Standing firm, you know, deeply rooted in the gospel. All of us striving together that the gospel would grow. Resisting opposition despite the cost, being one-minded and loving and humble and self-giving, that's hard work, isn't it? That's not really uh, natural to us. So how do we do this? How do we work this gospel out? Well, it's there in verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
it is God who works in you. Now, don't get this wrong. Um, it's not as if, you know, God is the puppet master and he's the one pulling the strings in our life, so we just kind of dance along as he says. That, that's not how this works. Instead, see how Paul writes it. It is God who works in you. Now, there should be a comma there. <laughs> to, work, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. See, that's how God works. His work is in you to shape your will and your actions, that is your works, to fulfill his good purpose, that is to live this gospel life and to look like him in this world. God's work in you is to shape your desires, your mind, the way you prioritize and look and life and act towards life and to so that your works and your deeds will be shaped as well. All for his good pleasure, for a gospel life. The nearest thing I can, I can relate it to is a bit like riding an e-bike. I, I don't know if you know this, the, the latest thing in mountain bikes is e-bikes, um, which is mountain bikes with really big batteries and really powerful motors. Because, you know, riding uphill sucks, riding downhill is fun, so let's get a hand on the way up. Uh, a while back I rode a friend's one just to give it a try, um, and it was an experience. Uh, we were on a, uh, on a fire trail. There was a hill just nearby us that I would never attempt to ride up by myself. Now, it was ridiculously steep. It was a definite walk-up sort of hill. Um, but anyway, I was on his bike, so I thought, I'll give it a crack. You know, point it up and go. And off we went, straight up this hill that I never could have ridden off myself. Like, it's not a motorbike. You have to pedal. It assists your pedaling. You have to do something. But it's unbel I felt like an Olympic athlete. It was fantastic. You know, so I'm like, wow, look how fit and strong I am. This is phenomenal. <laughs> this hill that I could never even ride up. I, I was doing 20 k's an hour uphill. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. And that's kind of a bit like how God works in us. God's working in us changes our mindset. It changes our approach and the way we look at life. And it, it, it drives us to, to desire and to try things that we never would have done before. He reshapes our mind in that way. But he also works in and through our abilities and our acts and our, and our deeds. So that these things that should be beyond us, that should be impossible, are now all of a sudden within our grasp. And, and, and we're able to do them, not just attempt, but achieve them because of him. Because of him working in us. His work in us, in his people, his work in our wills and in our deeds, achieves his good pleasure. It helps us live this gospel-shaped life that he is calling us to. There is no gospel citizenship without a transformed life. That's, that's the bottom line of what Paul's saying here. If you, are, if you belong to the gospel, your life is different. But you are not on your own in that. Because God works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. That's a great hope, isn't it? Because you and I are weak. Like That's not anything against you. It's just who we are. We're weak. We're not good at changing ourselves. And in fact, on our own, we are utterly incapable of this gospel-shaped, God-pleasing life. It just won't happen by us. But we're not alone. God works in us. God is at work in each of his people to reshape our desires and our wills and our minds to provide this drive and energy so that we can live this life. So that we can be these people that he's talking about. 
He's working, but he calls us to work it out too. So it's not a passive thing. We don't get to sit back. Um, you know, we've got that phrase, you know, let go and let God. That's not here. <laughs> it's just not here at all. God calls us to work out our salvation and he will work in us as we do that. You have to do this. You have to get about this. You cannot passively wait your way into a gospel-shaped life. It won't happen by accident. If there's no input, there's no output. So get about it. Work out your salvation. Just start. <laughs> and do it because you can. Not because you're great, but because you have a great God who promises to work in and through you. But what does that even look like? So we're called to work out our salvation. What does it look like? Well, Paul actually tells us in the very next section of this passage, he says, work out your salvation by holding out your salvation. We find that right in the, the centre of the next section. It's right there in verse 15. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. That's what your salvation worked out looks like. It looks like pure and blameless or innocent. It looks like without fault, shining like stars. That is what the transformed, under Jesus rule, gospel life looks like. Now let's be clear, not perfect. <laughs> That's not what he said. Not perfect, but standing out outstanding very literally <laughs> in a beautiful and attractive way like a light in a dark place both in a um, other people will look and see wow this world is really dark as well as wow this world is really dark but there is a light and it's good and we can see it and it's beautiful that's what he's talking about Paul says you're gospel citizens and it should be seen it should be noticed, it should be felt by others around you just how different you are. It should be obvious. Uh, when I was younger, the, the church that I was a part of in Launceston, uh, we played a, a role in helping um, Bosnian refugees, uh, Muslim Bosnian refugees, uh, resettle in Tassie and re-establish um, lives here. It was, it, it was a pretty cool thing to be part of, um, looking back on it now. My, my strongest memory is that they cooked a lot of food. <laughs> And it was good food too, actually. But, but what I remember is, uh, going to their house, it felt different. Like, you know, all of my other friends were, were Tasmanians, very similar like, to us. And, and going to their, their houses were different to ours, but they all kind of felt the same. But going to these Bosnian refugees, their house felt different. There, were, there was just something about it. You know, different ways of putting out furniture, different ways uh, of, of decorating and things on the walls, different smells of food cooking, different languages, you know, these exotic languages and music. It, it just felt different. It, it, it was so clear. The moment you set foot in that house, these people aren't from around here. You couldn't help but notice that in, in a good way. And what Paul is saying to us is, you should be like that. It should be obvious when people encounter you that there's something just different about you. you you're, you're not from around here. You don't belong here anymore. Because actually you're, you're citizens of a different kingdom. You're, you're children of a different family. Who you belong to has changed. And that should be noticeable. 
You belong to the gospel kingdom. You belong to God's family. You're now under the authority of a different king, under the self-giving rule of Jesus. And all of that should play in our lives so that we feel different. As Paul says, so that we shine. Now there's two ways that that plays out. Firstly, a negative way. We see it there in verse four. <coughs> excuse me, verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. There's the negative of how it plays out. No grumbling or arguing. Now that's actually a direct quote from the Old Testament, uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 32. A quote about Israel, God's people. Now, just to, to bring you up on the story, God has saved his people then out of Egypt, out of slavery in, in, in death in that land. He's brought them out of there under the blood of the Lamb. He's made them his special people. He's promised himself to them in a special relationship. And now he's bringing them to a special land that he's promised, that he's preparing for them. And what do they do as he, he's bringing them on that journey? They grumble. <laughs> This desert sucks. Are we there yet? It's taking so long. I'm thirsty. He's poking me. There's no cucumbers here. That, that literally says there's no cucumbers here. Despite everything that God had so graciously and so generously done for them in bringing them out of that and in promising them, they were grumbling. They were arguing. They were, they were discontent. And Paul says, be different. Because God saved you too. He's brought you out of sin and death by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of His Son. He's made you part of His people, part of His family. He's taking you towards a beautiful and precious eternal land. The journey's long, yes, but the future is good. So don't grumble. Don't get caught up in arguing. But instead, be content. Be content on that journey. See the bigger picture. And don't get hung up on stupid and petty controversies. Have a gospel, have a Jesus-centered mind, see the bigger picture and let go of the rest. So what Paul is saying is that the way, uh, the way we speak in the church, the way we speak of the church, um, the way we sort things out amongst each other, our, our contentedness with where we are and with where we're going, all of this should witness and should be a clear witness to the fact that we belong to Jesus. That our real citizenship is in Him. And that should stand out. And it, 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 it will stand out, won't it? I mean, we live in a land of grumblers, let's be honest. Uh, we're great at complaining. In, in our nation it is. So be different. Stand out. Don't, don't fall into that trap. Give up the grumble. Be content, and in that, shine like stars in this land. Be different in a good and beautiful way. So that's the negative, don't grumble. Here's the positive from the end of uh, verse 15. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Hold fast or hold firmly to the word of life. Uh, once again, it's not by accident that Paul's chosen these words. There's, there's an Old Testament background here. Um, if you're in Daniel chapter 12, you see Daniel the prophet being shown this vision of the future. And it's this, this picture of what God's people will be like once he's delivered them, once uh, they're living for him again. And this is what Daniel says in, in Daniel chapter 12. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens 
and those who lead many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. So before Paul said, not like this, now Paul's saying this. This is you. This is you. God has done that. He's worked in you. He's, he's brought you to himself. And so as you live those transformed lives, holding fast to that word of life, to the gospel, stuff is going to happen. You're going to be different. And people are going to be led to righteousness, that is, to Jesus and to life in him. Your shining, he's saying, is for their salvation. That You don't just shine bright so that people can see you and be uh, you know, amazed at how bright and wonderful and beautiful you are. You shine so that they can live, so that they can have life and see the word of life for themselves and believe the word of life. Your shining is of your salvation and for their salvation. And you do it as you hold on to his word, that word of life, the gospel. It's not just gospel heroes who do this. It's not just the best and the brightest. All of us, as we hold on to his word, shine out for the salvation of others. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Even a small light makes a big difference in a dark place. Uh, I've taken my phone lives on my um, bedside table when I when, at night because it's my alarm as well, um, but I have to turn it face down because I don't know it's got this feature, whereas when you have an, a notification there's a tiny tiny little LED that flashes on the front. It's it's minuscule, uh, at different colour depending on what the notification is, and yet at night in a dark bedroom that tiny light from a late night email or text or whatever. Flashing next to me is enough to wake me up. It is absolutely infuriating. Now, I'm a, I'm a light-sensitive sleeper. I get that. But just that small light, it, it, it flashes through the whole bedroom. It's absolutely phenomenal. And what Paul is saying is, that's us. <laughs> yes, we're not, we're not apostles like Paul. We're, we're, we're just us here in Alveston. But, but that's still us as we're transformed by the gospel, as we hold closely to the gospel, as God works in and on us, it changes us. And that's obvious. That's to be seen. And the world is supposed to stop and look and say, wow, it is really dark here. We need that light. We need that light. I mean, isn't, that, isn't that a great way to think about us, our church? <laughs> isn't that a beautiful picture of what we're called to be and of our place here in Alveston? We are called to be here as, as a beacon, as a bright shining, not to how morally good we are or whatever, but, but to the word of life, to the good news of Jesus that saves, that forgives, that brings into his family. We're here so that all can see that, can see him. Because this gospel, this saving work of Jesus that we have received is so central to everything we do and say that it's so obvious and bright that when people encounter us, they see him. They see who he is. They see how great he is. That's who we are to be, shining like stars in this town. Because Alveston is a dark place. I'm not saying it's morally worse than anywhere else. That's not it at all. But it's a dark place. It's missing hope. It's without this light. I don't know if you've ever stopped and realised this, but 
going, going to town on a, a busy, at least busy by Olverson standards day, and, and look at the people around you and realise for every 20 people that you see, 19 are living in darkness. 19 are living without hope. 19 out of 20 are lost. Walk around town and think that. <laughs> Count it out. Next time you're at Woolies or at Coles. Next time you walk down Ryby Street. 19 out of 20. It is a dark place we live in, isn't it? And so Paul says, be light. Shine like stars. Pure and blameless and different because of the good news of Jesus. As you hold fast to that, as you hold that out so that other people can have that light too. That is what our church, that is what our lives are to be about. That's to be essential to our being, holding this light out so that other people will receive it. We are called to be light in a dark place. So are you? Are we? Is the gospel clearly seen in us? We started talking about legacies. So let me ask you, will that be yours? Will that be our legacy as a church? You know, when you're gone, when our church is gone, is that what will be remembered about us? Wow, he and she and they, 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 were, they were different. They were, they were a light in a dark place. They were a breath of fresh air in a stale world. We saw Jesus in them. Isn't, isn't that a precious legacy? Wouldn't that be an astonishing, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to be remembered by we saw Jesus in them? And it was beautiful. What's a more glorious thing to be remembered for than that? Well, hold on to the gospel and that is your legacy. Hold firm to it, hold it out, live it out, work out your salvation and be that light in this town. Will you pour yourself out with me together that this will be us? Pouring ourselves out, sacrificing ourselves gladly with joy that Jesus will be seen clearly and beautifully in us and in our church. Let's pray that that would happen. Let's, um, let me lead you as we pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to work out this wonderful salvation that you've given us, that we would work it out to your glory and that the light of Jesus would be seen in us and that through him many would come to believe in you. Father, we give you thanks that this is not work that you call us to do by ourselves, but that you promise to work in us, to shape our minds and our thoughts and our actions. And we pray that you would do that powerfully. We pray that you would transform us. We pray that you would be at work in us even now. We pray that you would help us to be active working with you, that we would be eagerly working out what you've given us 
working the gospel out in our lives. And we pray that that gospel would be clear in us, that its light would be shone from us, that it would be clearly seen in us, that it would be unclouded by our grumbling or by our selfishness, but instead that it would be bright and beautiful and obvious to all, that when they encounter us, they see there is something different. They see, the, see Jesus in our lives. And Father, we pray that this would be fruitful. We long that this would happen so that not just we would be seen, but that many would see Jesus and would come to put their faith in him. We pray earnestly that you would do this even now amongst us and around us in the people we encounter this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.